one prison uh, in Chino, California, uh, mm -hmm. last May. So at the time, uh, that prison in Chino, California Institute for Men, um, was was the coronavirus hotspot in the mm -hmm. California state prison system. And then those 121 people were transferred to San Quentin, which until that time had zero known cases of coronavirus. Um, and uh, the people were not tested, you know, right before they were they were brought, um, and they were kettled together in small spaces on a bus for 11 hours, and then they weren't, um, you know, quarantined or isolated when they arrived at San Quentin. Mm -hmm. um, and then we saw the worst uh, carceral outbreak uh, last summer, uh, where over over 2,000 people, I think it was 2,600 people mm. at San Quentin had become infected, and mm. 28 died, and one staff member also died. And so that case is ongoing. And our office, um, along with a few other public defender offices and private defense offices, are, um, are participating in this hearing and representing over three oh these over 300 plaintiffs mm -hmm. um so if you wanted to follow what was going on there um, mm -hmm. it's happening in marin county court yeah the link to watch is on the the zoom calendar okay. um, on marin county's court or you can look at our website on sfpublicdefender.org okay and we have a, uh, a habeas page where you can find it on our media page Great, thank you. Yeah, I'll be. Um, we have a, a website now that uh, goes along with the with the show, so I'll be providing the links uh, after the show goes on the air. Excellent. I'm mm -hmm. so happy to hear that you're doing that. You're uh, doing the show. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it's evolving as well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's there's so much. There's unlimited amounts of news and information that uh, people deserve to know. So happy to pro provide, even if it's just a, a little bit at a time. Happy to get it out there. Well, I, you, you know, I appreciate that, and uh, I appreciate your, you're always looking for stories uh, about justice. Um, finding too many stories about injustice, but that's, yes, that's how that's how we rattle the cage, Roman. Yes, yes, yeah. Oh, oh my. Mm. And miss your sigh. Because the sigh oh. says a lot. Um, the sigh is a healthy thing, you know. Mm -hmm. One of the things I was I was explaining to someone about, the, especially the Adachi project, and we have a couple other films that have come out too. Mm -hmm. um, one that just came out yesterday, um, which I can talk more about. But yeah, you know, the the, the subject matter is heavy. Mm -hmm. If you're not, you know, it, it is heavy. However, the ultimate goal is to grow compassion. Right. Right. And, you know, we uh, I'll just kind of be blanket about it. Right. Society writes off, often writes off people who are, you know, either in jail, um, in prison, coming out of jail, coming out of prison, have a criminal background. Right. Those are the folks who get written off a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. um, I think just in, in society. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but the, what we're what we're doing with the Adachi project is, is bringing the work of public defense, which is getting in close, knowing who who these folks are, who our clients are, who their families are, what their community, what communities they come from, um, 
because we represent those, you know, we represent the actual humans in the room who are going to be potentially suffering the most consequences from the actions of the system that continuously dehumanizes people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, by, by looking at these kind of, we talk about the system as being, you know, this broken thing. Well, the system is doing as it was designed to do. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about the system, it's such as big, massive, cloudy idea. So with the Adachi project, we want to look at these micro-realities. Mm. So yesterday, we our, the film we released is called From Inside, mm-hmm. and it's conversations with people in San Francisco County Jail. Again, incidentally, this all happened this year, but um, during the pandemic. So in those early days, the anxiety, the stress, the fear, the feeling dehumanized, the feeling oppressed, um, you know, these are the types of feelings that happen to people in jail, regardless of a pandemic. Yes. And then it's amplified by mm-hmm. this fear that they could pot- potentially die, right? right? That this being in jail, you know, whether you've, you, you might be in jail because you couldn't afford bail at the time, mm-hmm. right? So Like so many people. Right, like hundreds of people <sighs> are in jail before they're even brought to trial. So, right. you know, we, we, we like to say innocent until proven guilty. But one of the things that the uh, one of the people in the film says, you know, you're, you're guilty and then you have to prove that you're innocent, mm-hmm. which is really more along the lines of how the system tends to work. Yes. Um, you know, and, and so we wanted to, to bring that experience out. And there's it, it is done like a film um, in the sense that there's artistic graphics that are kind of distorted, kind of disorienting, trying to bring that experience of like the racing mind that someone would have um, being, you know, locked in that position. Um, and then the, the third film that we that we did is, uh, I think it's a little bit more, it, it's, it's, it's on a different tack than the other two. Um, and it's called 44 Years Later. Mm-hmm. And Roman, were you still at Mutiny? When we were, or were you there when we did that big um, and participated in the end mass incarceration project? We had all the letters and art on the walls from people. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And so around that time, there were also um, hunger strikes Mm -hmm. um, in prisons, like at Pelican Bay, there was a big hunger Mm -hmm. strike. And so that was several years ago now. But one Mm -hmm. of of the people who, was kind of a leader in in the Pelican Bay hunger strike against solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. His name is Paul Red. Mm-hmm. Paul Red um, was convicted of a very serious crime at age nineteen. Um, he uh, there was it, his trial lasted three days from jury selection to verdict mm. and sentencing. Um, it was based on the sole. Um, testimony of a co-defendant who got a deal and ended up doing no jail time. Mm. And so Paul Red was sentenced to prison. Um, He spent the next 44 years in prison, um, 30 of which he spent at at various intervals um, in solitary confinement. Mm. This this remarkable human um, did not have his spirit crushed. He became a hospice worker. He mm. became an anti-violence mentor. 
um, and and facilitator. Um, he became you know loved by 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 so many folks, um, and he was one of the uh, people who stood up. Was part of the hunger strikes um, and named, was part of the, the uh, landmark case that um, helped not end but certainly revise the use of solitary confinement in California. Mm. Um, so um, there's basically anyone in prison who's not serving a life without parole, possibility of parole. Um, there, there, there's law in California that makes people eligible. Um, to have their sentence reviewed. Um, and so it used to be that the only the prison could recommend folks um, for resentencing. Then a couple of years ago, California law changed and it also allowed district attorney offices to petition the court to, re to hear, uh, you know, to determine whether someone should be resentenced. And so um, we do have a progressive, uh, district attorney. Um, Thank goodness. And, what's that? Thank goodness. We, we do, right. And, and, and mm -hmm. there's a lot of these things that parts of the system that I've learned about just yeah. being here for the past almost two years now wow. um, that, that, you know, I would have <sighs> not understood prior. Right, um, right. And so um, because we have a progressive district attorney and this law exists, we at the public defender's office are you know, um, able to help people file these petitions, mm -hmm. uh, complete their petitions to the district attorney. Yes. Right. Um, so that, um, in a very basic way, is kind of how Paul Red um, was able to have his uh, was able to have a resentencing hearing by the by the court, mm. um, and the, and then he was freed last May. Wow. So 44 years later is the film, and um, and it is mm. his first day mm. that he is free. And he, he his family has gathered. Oh. Um, his older brother, his little sister, mm. the the in laws, the ne nephews, you know, who like know him but don't know him. Right, um, right. And so we were able to kind of capture oh. that first day, um, and I. I, I oh. Yeah, I mean it's it's really powerful stuff. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I, I'm just so grateful for everyone who participates in it because mm -hmm. it is really, uh, it is, this is, this is this work. I, I don't think I really think I have a an adjective for it. Um, but all of these films are are short. They're you know five, six, eleven minute um, on wearedefender.com. <laughs> So please check it out. There's there's editorials that accompany each one of them as well. Mm. Um, folks from our office um, and Paul Red also um, co-authored um, or authored part of the 44 Years Later editorial as well. Um, so you know we we want to we want to open people's eyes and hearts and um, and try to push for changes in the system that are going to yes. be more humane and and more effective. Right, right. Mass incarceration has made us any safer, oh, um, but it's destabilized oh, yes. um, millions of people across the country and millions right. of families. Absolutely. I mean, it's the same conversation around with, you know, wanting to defund the police and like, why is all this money and the U.S. military? It's like all this money goes into just causing great harm around the world. It's, I mean, it's so backwards. 
Absolutely, right? We when we know we can do things that are, you know, proactive, right. that's where we need to be investing um, our time and resources, right? Yes. As opposed to being punitive right, uh, right. on the back end of things. Yeah. If yeah, funding all of these institutions were to make us safer, we'd be the safest place in the world. So clearly, uh, not working. Right. So, so that's that's a touch um, of what our 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 city, our our public defender's office, wow. um, what we're doing, um, looking out for a community, and uh, and and looking for you know for ways to improve public safety. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and th- and that means giving people more support, right? Yes. On the front end, on the mid end, on the back end, whatever it may be. Right, right. right. Support and 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 letting people, uh, giving people opportunities to thrive is what's going to keep them safe. What's yes. going to keep everybody else safe? Yes, absolutely. <sighs> that's that's my report. Mm. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much, Val. I'm- Miss you. I miss seeing you at the station, and miss hearing your voice. So it's good I, to I miss connect. it too. I'm, thank you so much. This is a, an absolute pleasure to join you this afternoon. Uh, um, yeah, let's let's keep the connection strong. And indeed. now that we're slowly coming coming out of this pandemic a bit, mm-hmm. uh, I'll I'll come back into the studio a little bit more and and not be so afraid afraid of the microphone. Oh sure, that's <laughs> <laughs> very understandable. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Roman. All right. So big thank you to Valley Vera for calling in and sharing so much information um, from the San Francisco Public Defender's Office. Learned quite a bit. And as mentioned, we also have a web page where we will have uh, links to uh, many of the, uh, the, the films, the upcoming event, and much more information and articles as well. Uh, that'll be coming up on org later today. Now we're going to take a bit of a music break. I'm going to sort out some articles to share um, coming up next. So, uh, yeah, please do stay tuned, and we'll be back in a bit. Imagine the world has gone insane And nothing we know has stayed the
wrote this song about my cat. Her name is Monica. 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 Let's sleep a lot. Touch you surround. She's my Siamese cat. Again, that was the band. <laughs> this is the band called the Linda Lindas, and this is from a live performance at the LA Public at NLA Public Library, I should say. And I'm gonna continue along. There's a lot of articles I wanted to share today, so we'll see what we can get to. And again, big thanks to Val um, for uh, for calling in and having this uh, conversation uh, earlier this week. Uh, so informative. So thank you again. And uh, this next up comes, it's uh, similar to the conversation we're having about just where the funding goes in this country and how backwards it is. This is a statement from Code Pink, which is a great organization that folks can follow and support. Code Pink statement on the Biden administration's $753 billion proposed Pentagon budget for 2022. Ugh. I, I don't know where that noise came from, but sometimes uh, I, I don't need... Uh, what a dumb world we live in sometimes. Anyway, let's see what's going on here. And uh, we'll also post a link to this article on our website. May 28th, 2021, Code Pink, a women-led peace organization, calls on Congress to reject President Biden's record high full year uh, 2022, I'm assuming that's what FY stands for, FY, 2022 military budget of $753 billion, a $11.3 billion increase over the Trump administration's previous spendthrift military budget in supporting a minimum 10% reduction in Pentagon spending. Hood Pink noted the annual savings could eradicate hunger and homelessness each year in the United States. But why would we do that? Why would we, you know, want to ensure that everyone has housing and, and food uh, if we can go bomb another country? God, so stupid. Okay, anyway. Whew. I need to get myself together to the best of my ability. To spend nearly a trillion dollars to prepare for war pulls back the curtain on the Biden administration's professed interest in lifting people out of poverty, says Carly Town, Code Pink co-director. While millions of Americans are steeped in debt, living paycheck to paycheck, facing eviction, and struggling to pay medical bills amidst an ongoing health pandemic and recession, 
the administration hurls taxpayer dollars at an increasingly privatized for-profit war industry. Biden's budget includes upwards of $30 billion for new nuclear weapons slated to cost $1.7 trillion over the next decades, billions for the F-35 fighter jet, a boondoggle with an eventual $1 to $2 trillion price tag, $17.4 billion for an unnecessary space force that's so stupid. Oh, God, I'm gonna, I don't want to yell on the mic. I don't want to hurt your ears. However, it's so fucking stupid. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And at least $51.5 billion annually to maintain over 800 overseas bases and establish new ones in the Indo-Pacific, where the Biden administration's pivot to Asia sets us on a reckless and dangerous course toward war with China. So fucking stupid. Ugh. See, this is why I think I, I uh, <laughs> have to have uh, my own show here, is that if I were to work for a, a news agency, uh, <laughs> I would just have to swear too much and, and call people uh, fucking war profiteers and warmongers go fuck themselves. And I, you know, I mean, that's honestly what they are. Okay. President Biden's final Pentagon budget request uh, signals uh, alarming continuity with the Trump administration, which over the course of four years increased the Pentagon budget by $133 billion uh, with uh, bipartisan congressional approval. In light of the Biden administration's announcement that the United States will be withdrawing troops from Afghanistan by September 2021, the Pentagon budget should reflect a corresponding $50 billion reduction. Instead, Biden's proposed Pentagon budget of $753—I'm uh, guessing that, let's see, let me make sure I'm using the right uh, dollar amount—$753 billion would provide the Department of Defense— and again, as I mentioned all the time, it used to be called the De Department of War, and they're like, oh, we need to sound nicer since we're out killing people, so let's, um, uh, let's call us the Department of Defense so we can defend ourselves against uh, reality and um, kindness, I guess. I don't know. Think of all other synonyms with good things and, uh, and defense, what defense could and should be. Okay, so da -da -da, with more money than the departments. Okay, so it's providing the Department of Defense with more money than the Departments of State, Justice, Education, Transportation, Health and Human Services, and the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, combined. <laughs> oh, God, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I have to laugh because it's terrifying and awful. At the same time that Biden is set to withdraw U.S. troops from, with, from Afghanistan, Biden and Congress are using China as a justification for this massive increase in military spending by framing China as a danger to the U.S. and its allies. I think the U.S. Is a, is a danger to itself and its allies, but that's my opinion. Biden's proposed Pentagon budget identifies China as a top challenge, that's in quotation marks, and Secretary of Defense Austin has stated China is our pacing, is our pacing threat? What? It's so fucking, st okay. I can't keep calling everything fucking stupid because eventually that's, I have to rename the show that. In reality, the inflated threat of China's military pales in comparison to the United States' military. The U.S. has over 800 overseas military bases, hundreds of which surround the borders of China. China currently has only one official overseas military base uh, located in Djibouti. Djibouti. Uh, this same tactic of threat inflation led to the U.S.'s catastrophic invasion of Iraq in 2003, the consequences of that intervention were not only horrific overseas, but also proved deadly and harmful for Arab, Middle Eastern, Muslim, and Muslim-perceived communities, said Madison Tang, 
coordinator of Code Pink's China is not our enemy campaign. Today, we are already seeing the consequences of this escalation of war with China in the form of xenophobic violence that targets Asians and Asian Americans of various ethnicities across the U.S. Anti-Asian violence has increased 194% in the first quarter of 2021 compared to 2020, according to the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism. This pattern of heightened xenophobia and scapegoating for a minority group as a corollary to U.S. imperialist wars is not new and must be challenged. This push for rearmament, including hundreds of new land-based intercontinental ballistic missiles and submarine-mounted tactical nuclear weapons, comes amid concern the Biden administration's heated anti-China rhetoric and policies could plunge us into a nuclear war said Marcy Winograd, coordinator of Code Pink Congress, a campaign to mobilize co-sponsors for progressive foreign policy legislation. There is no law of gravity, however, that compels President Biden, excuse me, um, but I would say that me burping on air is far less offensive than these fuckers trying to uh, raise the budget of the Pentagon. Okay, and that's my excuse. Okay, uh, da -da -da. there is no law of gravity, however, that compels President Biden or Congress to continue funding the drive for nuclear rearmament or global omnicide. Ooh, I haven't seen that word before. Omnicide. Wow. At the end of the day, the federal budget is up to Congress to decide, not the president. We call on Congress to reduce the Pentagon budget by at least 10% and instead invest in what will truly make us safe, universal health care, good jobs, and addressing the climate crisis. Shouldn't be that difficult, but here we are. Act now. It's now more important than ever to contact your representatives and they provide a link and send them the Code Pink Guide to Pentagon Budget Cuts to demand that they show their support to reduce the Pentagon's budget, the Pentagon budget, and invest in human needs. And they also have additional quotes and reaction on Biden's proposed Pentagon budget from the international community. The way the U.S. budget overemphasizes the military hurts the American people and the world. A tiny fraction of the money that President Biden is proposing for the military budget would save the lives of millions of children in Yemen. Wouldn't that be a better investment in the future than more bombs, warships, and nuclear weapons? That's from Aisha Juman, president of Yemen Relief and Reconstruction Foundation. This enormous Pentagon budget will only lead to more military conflicts, more bloodshed, more grief. We saw enough of that in Afghanistan for the last 20 years. It's time to invest in peace. And that's from Basir Bita, local activist in Kabul, Afghanistan. <sighs> there are many places where the U.S. could and should spend money, spend more money. At least it can start by paying for some of the huge damages it has caused to the people in this country and abroad in the last several centuries. Increasing the military budget, however, only makes everything worse. And that's Dr. Zhu, professor of economics at John Jay College, uh, CUNY, former professor of economics at Renmin University of China and Chinese citizen. An increase in the U.S. defense budget will mean the deployment and or testing of U.S. weapons in South Korea, which endangers the lives of res residents near U.S. bases. U.S. military buildup has led to a perpetual arms race, including nuclear weapons and nuclear threats in Northeast Asia. The deployment of the U.S. THAAD, T-H-A-A-D, missile defense system in South Korea in 2017 has raised tension in the region and is opposed by many South Koreans. Villagers near the new THAAD base have been protesting every day against the illegal deployment. I join in the call to the Biden administration to reduce the U.S. defense budget and invest in human security. 
withdraw attention raising weapons systems from Korea and end the more than 70-year-old Korean War with a peace agreement. That's from Yu Kyung-ko, a consultant for Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, the WILPF, and Women-Led Korea Peace Now campaign, and a standing committee member of the Korea Peace Appeal campaign. Next. The U.S. military, excuse me, the, I almost called it the U U.S. military states, and we kind of are. The United States military continues to negatively impact the lives of people who have never consented to the U.S. military presence, particularly in island nations in the Asia-Pacific region, such as Hawaii, Okinawa, and the Marianas. The military presence places the people of these nations in mortal danger of annihilation, as was demonstrated in 2018 via the false ballistic missile alert in Hawaii, proving that the U.S. military is incapable of protecting us. Furthermore, the military creates a burden in numerous other ways, such as through crime, pollution, and economic deprivation. And that is from Robert Kajiwara, founder of the Peace for Okinawa Coalition. Next. We, members of the International Women's Network Against Militarism, unequivocally oppose the proposed Biden-Pentagon budget, spending nearly 50% of the U.S. discretionary budget, more than the next 10 countries combined, demonstrates the destructive priorities of a society committed more to world military domination than care of its people and the natural environment. Increased militarization in the U.S. and abroad will only create more insecurities, fear, and destruction both at home and abroad, especially in places of massive U.S. military presence, such as Okinawa and Guam. We urge the Biden-Harris administration to withdraw the current proposal and formulate one that will ensure full health care, quality education, and environmental protection. And that is from the International Women's Network Against Militarism. So, again, um, we'll be posting this article on our webpage at weeklyrev.org. And in the article, uh, there are links you can click on to uh, contact your representatives and send them the Code Pink Guide to Pentagon Budget Cuts. So I know this is like, wow, this is there's a lot here. And also they provide action items that folks can take to, to speak up and to contact representatives. And also as a reminder, in this article it was mentioned how bad the, the military is for the environment. And it's the U.S. military is actually the number one uh, cause and harm for for the environment so it's it's really it's just it's bad for everybody for people for animals for nature for the world so it's silly that we have to keep on talking about this and yet here we are so i'll be providing a link to this article on our webpage. i'm going to rest uh, my voice just a bit we do have a lot more to get to though and oh my gosh so much more to get to but i did want to play a little bit more music and uh, coming up, I also wanted just to share an, another upcoming event, and this is happening on Thursday, June 3rd, from noon to 3 p.m. Pacific time. This is an event, uh, We Take Care of Us, a deep dive into the movement to decriminalize mental health and skin color. And this is from uh, KPFA and the Anti-Terror Police Project. I'll just read a little bit about this here and then take a break. Uh, join us on June 3rd for our first virtual regional summit, We Take Care of Us, a deep dive into the movement to decriminalize mental health and skin color. We'll spend an inspiring afternoon learning about how to build replicable and sustainable alternatives to police and prisons for mental health and how we as a community can take care of each other in moments of crisis. So this was shared by the ABTB. You can follow them on Twitter at APTP Action. It's also on the KPFA website. And we'll provide a link to this as well on our site at weeklyrev.org.
All right, I'm going to uh, play some more Linda Lindas for you all. Um, also in the video, which we will also post a link to, um, they have an interview. So that's after the, the last song that we played. So I'm going to jump to their next song, which is called No Clue. And then uh, after a couple songs, we'll be back with some more news articles and information for you all. So please do stay tuned.
The Linda Linda's with Racist Texas Boy, and before that, No Clue. And again, this is from a performance, LA Public Library, and we'll share a link to the video on our website. Okay, much more to get to. Uh, this is from a, a news source I hadn't seen before. It's Tribune of the People, which is a revolutionary news service, and you can find it at tribuneofthepeople.news. And this is an article from May 23rd, 2021. Rallies, marches, and solidarity with heroic Palestinian resistance across the U.S. And I think it's important to share this because uh, a lot of these stories don't make it to mainstream and corporate media. And I wanted to share this as well. All right. This is by Dimitri Sanz. Uh, hundreds booed U.S. President Joe Biden when he visited Dearborn, Michigan, as part of a mass worldwide protest. As part of mass worldwide protest this week in solidarity with the Palestinian people and against U.S. imperialism for its role in Israel's crimes. Thousands more mobilized in U.S. cities to celebrate Palestinian resistance and to condemn the Israeli murder of over 200 Palestinians, including dozens of children. Despite the ceasefire agreement between Hamas and the Israeli government, protests continued through this weekend, and more are scheduled in the days to come. Uh, some of, excuse me, <coughs> some of the largest rallies and marches took place on Saturday, May 15th, the 73rd anniversary of the Nakba the catastrophe which marks the date when the displacement of Palestinians began full as the Zionist state of Israel accelerated its campaign of genocide upon its formation. Many of these solitary events saw protesters of all ages and various backgrounds demonstrating uh, the broad support for the Palestinian cause within the U.S. People in the U.S. have loudly echoed the call of the people worldwide standing with Palestinians in militant resistance to Zionist colonialism and U.S. imperialism. In Los Angeles, thousands marched through the streets on Saturday, at one point blocking traffic on Freeway 405. The police response, one attendee told Tribune, was comparable to that of the May uprisings last year, with officers deploying riot gear, sound cannons, and almost running numerous protesters over with vehicles. Later in the week, hundreds would protest at the Israeli consulate in West Los Angeles, chanting, Free, Free Palestine. In Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, hundreds protested at Israel's U.S. Embassy. In Boston last weekend, protesters disrupted traffic, marching to the area's Israeli consulate, where they unfurled a large banner that read Free Palestine. Other large protests took place in New York, Philadelphia, Sacramento, New Orleans, Houston, and more. Uh, New York saw clashes between Palestinian solidarity protesters and supporters of Zionism, in one incident, a supporter of Israel chased after a young child who snatched the Israeli flag out of his hands, but the man was beaten back by Palestine supporters who defended the child. New York police targeted the pro-Palestine demonstrators for arrest rather than the pro-Israel demonstrator. When faced with state troopers at the Texas state capitol, hundreds of protesters in Austin chanted, there is only one solution, ooh, uh, in Intifada Revolution. The rally, which began on the sidewalk, was too large to be contained and spilled un into the streets, turning into an unpermitted march through downtown Austin. One Austin protester held a portrait of Palestinian political prisoner George Abdallah. Speakers called for overthrowing U.S. imperialism and uniting all resistance struggles with the, cl with the class struggle. I think this time, as hard as it seems for people in Gaza and Jerusalem, is really promising, said an attendee of the Austin rally who grew up in Gaza. If all Palestinians unite and fight together, then we will finally be on the right track. It is always right for us to be in resistance. 
have a video as well. Uh, in Charlotte, at a rally of a few hundred people, one speaker called for solidarity between the movement for black lives in the U.S. and the Palestinian rebellion. Thousands demonstrated in San Francisco in front of the Israeli consulate at a pro-Palestine protest in Fresno. Zionist counter-protesters were ran out and Israeli flags were burned. Um, the Kansas City Sister Cities International Bridge lined with flags from countries around the world. Protesters tore down an Israeli flag and replaced it with a Palestinian flag to the cheers of the crowd. Uh, other protests were held in Pittsburgh and Orlando. In Pittsburgh, the protests initiated at East Liberty Presbyterian Church and marched towards the Carnegie Mellon University, where protesters condemned the university's collaboration with the Israeli Defense Forces. On Saturday, there were demonstrations in Portland, Tulsa, and other cities, with more solidarity demonstrations expected in the coming days. And there are a lot more photos in this article as well. Wow. Okay. I'm going to take a deep breath here. That's a lot. I'm just wanting to share what was happening, what's been happening around the country. Oh, goodness. And also on the episode of the show, I believe last week or the week before, we also shared some events and ways uh, in which uh, Jewish communities in the U.S. were showing solidarity with Palestinians. And there's a couple of orgs that folks can donate to and also support. Um, so I wanted to, to share that as well. And yes, there are Jewish-led actions against apartheid and as well as a debrief and open organizing call that happened. So I wanted to share those links. And this is from uh, ifnotnowmovement.org that you can find as well as Jewish Voice for Peace. Whew, deep breath. Speaking of colonialism, uh, wanted to share, this is a brief abstract. Sometimes we go kind of, everything's connected, definitely believe that, and also wanted to share just a bit of history as well that's very informative to what's going on right now. And this is from a magazine called uh, Science Advances, which I don't believe I've necessarily read from before, but did want to share at least the abstract of this article that came out on May 19th of this year. Large-scale reptile extinctions following European colonization of the Guadalupe Islands. Guadalupe Islands. This is uh, from Corentin Bochiton, Emmanuel Paradis, Salvador Elon, Sandrine Ruard, uh, Ivan Einick, and uh, Anud Lenoble, and many more authors. Okay, uh, Lenoble, uh, Olivier Lorvelec, and Tresset, and Nicole Boven. I hope I'm sharing, speaking the names correctly. And the abstract from this article, large-scale extinction is one of the defining challenges of our time as human processes fundamentally and irreversibly reshape global ecosystems while the extinction of large animals with popular appeal garners widespread public and research, uh, research interest, the importance of smaller, less charismatic species to ecosystem health is increasingly recognized. Benefiting from systemically, uh, systematically collected fossil and archaeological archives, we examined snake and lizard extinctions in the Guadalupe Islands of the Caribbean study of the Caribbean. Oh, excuse me. Uh, I get to that point <laughs> after an hour where sometimes the words run into each other, so I'm going to take my time here. A study of about 43,000 bone remains across six islands revealed a massive extinction of 50 to 70% of Guadalupe's snakes 
and lizards following European colonization. In contrast, earlier indigenous populations coexisted with snakes and lizards for thousands of years without affecting their diversity. Study of archaeological remains provides insights into the causes of snake and lizard extinctions and shows that failure to consider fossil-derived data probably contributes to substantial underestimation of human impacts to global biodiversity. Wow. And then there's a whole article here um, with a lot more information. So if you're interested in reading more, you can go to the Science Advances website. And again, we will post a link on our website. Wow. Whew. That's a lot. I'm going to take a, a breath for a moment. Um, and I wanted to share a video, or the audio from a video, certainly. It's from the Gravel Institute. I recommend following them on Twitter. You can follow them at Gravel Institute. Also, I'm on Twitter. And I do a lot of... Uh, shared tweets on there, so feel free to follow me on there as well, R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. So this is a video called, um, is, uh, excuse me, is Uber scamming you? I think a lot of us know the answer to that, personally. I think I've maybe written in one Uber in my, or two my entire life, and that's when someone else has ordered them, and it's just a shame, because I'm all about, uh, you know, public transportation. Accessible transportation, walking and biking. Oh, it's just uh, it's a lot. Okay, so I'm going to play the audio from this video. I'll leave my mic on in case I need to describe any of the visual images, but hopefully it should be included here in the, uh, in the audio. Among the pantheon of corporations that have emerged out of Silicon Valley, Uber occupies a special place. The company is worth $100 billion. Hundreds of billions of dollars worth of trips and delivery orders have been booked using its app. And I want to share the uh, speaker's name. And this is Edward Ungueso Jr., who's a staff writer at Vice. Trips and delivery orders have been booked using its app. It gets tens of billions of dollars in revenue each year. Uber is everywhere. And the narrative of Uber is also everywhere. It says that Uber is innovative that it can disrupt the taxi industry and make money doing it, and that it can offer flexibility and opportunity to its army of drivers. Everybody wins. There's one problem. None of that is true. Let's start with one basic fact. For a company so prominent, there's something very strange. Uber has never, not once, turned a single profit. You might be confused. How can it be that such a large company, with such a popular service, has simply never made money? When you find out the answer, you discover something important. You discover that Uber is fundamentally a scam, a company that exists to scam its investors, its users, and most importantly, to scam its workers. Despite everything you might hear, Uber is not a technology company. While the company may brag about its sophisticated algorithm, in reality, Uber is just another taxi company. There's nothing fundamentally more efficient about Uber than there was with your local taxi service. The business is the same. There's no real way to innovate someone driving someone or something from point A to point B. Using an app to match riders with drivers is so simple that local taxi companies do the same thing. In fact, Uber is less efficient than taxi companies. Most normal taxi companies don't spend huge amounts on marketing or lobbying or corporate headquarters. They don't pay their CEO $45 million a year. Uber has higher costs than traditional taxi operators in every category except fuel. So why is Uber everywhere while taxi companies go out of business? 
It all goes back to Uber's master plan. First, with massive amounts of money from venture capitalists, Uber subsidized significantly cheaper rides than what taxi companies could offer to attract customers away from them. Then, after years of undercutting competitors and driving them to bankruptcy, resulting in a wave of suicides by cab drivers, Uber established near monopolies in local markets. Now, Uber is often the default way to get around if you don't have a car. And once Uber has eradicated its competition, it can make itself profit at expense of users and drivers, raising its fares to what taxis offered or higher while pushing down drivers' wages. The plan is not efficient. It's monopoly. And that's not just me theorizing. A 73-page article in the Transportation Law Journal took a deep look at Uber's business and concluded one thing. Uber has no ability, now or in the foreseeable future, to earn sustainable profits in a competitive marketplace. Uber's investors cannot earn returns on the money they invest without achieving levels of market dominance that would allow them to exploit anti-competitive market power. So that is Uber's grand plan. It is not increasing the productivity or efficiency of the industry that it's in. It's subsidizing its rides with venture capital cash until it can build a monopoly and do whatever it wants. So users who buy Uber's narrative may be getting scammed, but no one is getting it worse than Uber's workers. So Uber relies on classifying drivers as independent contractors. In the United States, that means an individual provides services to a company, but is independent of the company and its control. Uber says that because drivers can choose what work to accept and for how long, they're fully independent. Now, most of Uber's workers drive part-time, but they actually do relatively little driving, and 90% of them quit each year. The majority of Uber's labor is done by a smaller group of workers who drive full-time for the company. So who are these drivers? In cities like New York, the vast majority are immigrants from places like India, Bangladesh, and Haiti. They desperately need cash to support their families and send remittances back home. These are people at the very margins of our society. And how does Uber treat them? Uber treats them like a pool of cheap labor, easy to exploit and then discard. Uber's always been clear about one thing. It does not care about its drivers. At Uber's Greenlight Centers, where drivers register with the company, they were not even allowed to enter bathrooms reserved for employees. In fact, when Uber was talking about how it would become profitable, it stated clearly that it wanted to get rid of its drivers and transition entirely to self-driving cars. But Uber's technology was so bad that after burning billions of dollars, it had to give up. So for now, Uber is stuck with its drivers. And in order to appear like it's coming closer to profitability, it's been cutting their wages since 2015. Whenever Uber increases its cut from each trip or reduces the minimum rate for drivers, its margins improve by that much immediately. As a result, Uber drivers regularly earn less than the minimum wage. After taking hidden costs like fuel into account, the average Uber driver earns a little over $9 an hour, about 50% less than what taxi drivers made before Uber. In fact, half of Uber drivers live at or below the poverty level. 20% of them have to use food stamps to survive. Unable to afford a home, some drivers even sleep in their cars. Drivers with nothing to their name trapped in predatory car rental schemes promoted by uber they garnish your wages until you've paid it off with interest one study from georgetown found that a third of drivers reported falling into a debt trap some ended up earning less than five dollars an hour and because its drivers are technically independent contractors uber can avoid pesky requirements like minimum wages health insurance or paid sick leave drivers can't unionize to bargain for better conditions 
Uber has all the power to make sure it can stay that way. When California tried to classify drivers as employees, Uber spent hundreds of millions of dollars on a campaign to overturn it with a ballot proposition written by Uber's lawyers. And even though Uber talks about flexibility, that's not what drivers actually experience. Drivers may not have physical bosses to order them around, but they're ruled by something even worse, an algorithmic overseer that's more intrusive than any flesh and blood boss could ever be. Uber's only actual innovations are in surveilling and disciplining its workforce. They're always watching, monitoring driving behavior, calculating fraud profiles, using invisible secret functions to discipline drivers as well as customers. Fall below an arbitrary threshold for ratings? Fired. Reject too many trips because you don't want to lose any money? Fired. Did a customer make a false report? Fired. So that's the freedom that Uber offers. It frees drivers to make below minimum wage, to sleep in their cars, to beg for five-star ratings, and work themselves to the bone. But at the end of the day, Uber, like other gig companies, is an innovation. Not in technology, but in exploitation. It's leading the war against labor in ways other companies never thought possible. It oversees a pool of atomized, ultra-exploited laborers, writes its own regulations, and has done it all without earning a single cent of profit. Imagine what sort of world they'll need to start making it. I'm Edward Onguaso Jr., staff writer advice for the Gravel Institute. Oof. A lot of information there. Uh, and we'll be posting a link to that uh, on our website. Wow. All right, so it's just about almost 1.30 here. Did want to get to a few more of information and again just a drop in the bucket of what's out there and this is from uh, Bay attention bay area san francisco follow a rock bay area and you can follow them at area and then block the boat.org mobilization against state text your name to 181 block zim and that's 182-562-5946 for updates and calls to action call 415-862-3444 to get in touch and Palestine. And so more information there. Again, we'll post a link on our website. Also, there have been quite a few anti-trans bills that some folks have been trying to pass across the country and wanted to share some clarifying information from uh, Chase Strangio, who is a lawyer and also shares a lot of information about this um, on a regular basis. So following Chase on Twitter is a great idea if you guys like to learn more. Twitter address handle is at Chase and that's uh, C-H-A-S-E-S-T-R-A-N-G-I-O. Chase writes, this is on May 22nd. I am seeing everywhere posts and headlines about Tennessee banning healthcare for trans youth. That is wrong. Please be careful with the info you are spreading in this very precarious time. Here is what happened. Tennessee passed many laws targeting trans youth, including a ban on sports, a ban on restroom use, a mandate that businesses post signs if they allow trans people to use the restroom, and a law that unnecessarily codifies the standards of care for treating trans young people. But all the health care law does is say you cannot treat pre-pubertal young people with hormones to treat gender dysphoria. No, that is zero kids receive hormones pre-puberty for gender dysphoria already. So the law does nothing to disrupt pre-existing care. It sends a message of disapproval. It scares kids and their families. But the only medical treatment provided for gender dysphoria 
is initiated at puberty, not before. So the law does not disrupt the care. The fact that people are saying the care is banned is terrifying people. Young people across the country are fearing for their well-being, and we have to be discerning about what we share because people's lives and bodies are in deeply precarious positions. Arkansas has cut off care for trans youth, but Tennessee did not. To all the media outlets writing these headlines for clicks, please stop. You're doing a terrible thing, making people scared, and spreading misinformation. Breath. It's about 1.30. Uh, I did want to get to at least a couple more uh, news articles here. Because it's a lot, and I don't mean to just keep on, A, running through all these because and without the time to just take a breath and let them sit. Um, and also, there's I recognize so much more that's happening. Again, here for a few hours a week and uh, get to what we can, show the connections between everything, including people in positions of power who cause great harm to the rest of us and how we can push back against them. Um, also, there's a thread. Let's see. I think. I think. Yeah, the last thing I'm gonna get to before we play some music and and uh, end up and because uh, it's just wow, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. So this is from uh, Robert G. Reeve, who is a privacy tech worker. So I think the fact that so many of us use technology and uh, as the Uber. Video mentioned, just or the anti Uber video mentioned, uh, just uh, it's important just to understand what these tech companies are up to. So I wanted to share this thread that was on Twitter. Uh, and Robert writes, um, you can also follow Robert on Twitter at Robert G. Reeve. I'm back from a week at my mom's house and now I'm getting ads for her toothpaste brand, the brand I've been putting in my mouth for a week. We never talked about this brand or Googled it or anything like that. As a privacy tech worker, let me explain why this is happening. First of all, your social media apps are not listening to you. This is a conspiracy theory. It's been debunked over and over again. But frankly, they don't need to because everything else you give them unthinkingly is way cheaper and more powerful. Way more powerful. Your apps collect a ton of data from your phone. Your unique device ID, your location, your demographics. We know this. Okay. Data, data aggreg aggregators pay to pull in data from everywhere. I use my discount card at the grocery store. Every purchase, that's a data set for sale. They match uh, this person, Robert's uh, Harris Teeter purchases to his Twitter account um, because uh, he says, I gave both those companies my email address and phone number and I agreed to all that data sharing when I accepted those terms of service and the privacy policy. Here's where it gets truly nuts though. Uh, and this is written in first person from Robert. Uh, Robert says, if my phone is regularly in the same GPS location as another phone, they take note of that. They start reconstructing the web of people I'm in regular contact with. The advertisers can cross-reference my interests and browsing history and purchase history to those around me. It starts showing me different ads based on the people around me, family, friends, coworkers. It will serve me ads for things I don't want, but it knows someone I'm in regular contact with might want. To subliminally get me to start a conversation about, I don't know, fucking toothpaste. They never needed to listen to me for this. It's just comparing aggregated metadata. The other thing is 
this is just out there in the open. Tons of people report on this. It's just nobody cares. We have decided our privacy just isn't worth it. It's a losing battle. We've already given away too much of ourselves. And this is an article from his Facebook. And quotes uh, an article, we spotted a senior official at the Department of Defense walking through the Women's March. His wife was also on the mall that day, something we discovered after tracking him to his home in Virginia. Times, uh, 12 million phones, one data set, zero privacy. So they know my mom's toothpaste. They know I was at my mom's. They know my Twitter. Now I get Twitter ads for my mom's toothpaste. Your data isn't just about you. It's about how it can be used against every person you know and people you don't. Shape behavior unconsciously. Apple's latest updates let you block apps tracking, and Facebook is mad. They're begging you to just press accept and go back to business as usual. Block the fuck out of every app's ads. It's not just about you. Your data reshapes the internet article from Vox.com, why Facebook and Apple are fighting over your privacy. The internet is never going to be the wacky place it was when I had a live journal and people shared protein gifts in the form of YTMNDs. Big business has come to suck the joy and your dollars out of it. At least make it hard for them. Oh, and this is uh, Robert's uh, Twitter high score. If you like D&D, okay. That's uh, the link to Robert's Info. So yeah, yikes. There's a lot there. Sure. And we'll post a link. I, I try to end the show usually on some optimism, but wow, it's hard. It's hard to. Yikes. Um I think uh check out our website, weeklyrev.org, lots of upcoming events and ways to take action. Because yeah, things are terrifying and also so many ways that folks can show up. So I'm gonna play some Linda Lindas and I think that's gonna be it for us today. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. I did a lot of talking. Wow. All right. Uh, thanks again to Val for, for having the time to, to chat. And uh, we'll be back next week. And end up the show with a couple of uh, Linda Linda songs. And these are some covers. Uh, have a great week, everyone. Oh, I should, you know, hi. Uh, promote the Patreon. There are some shows, some podcasts out there that have uh, you know, engineers and producers and advertisers. And this is a very much... Uh, DIY project here. I've been doing it now for almost eight years. So if you were touched, learned anything on the show today and or <laughs> like the music, anything at all, I'm going to support the show. Please, you know, spread the word. This is available on multiple streaming uh, uh, mediums. <laughs> we're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Um, also on FM Player other apps out there mutiny radio has a has an app of its own and also there's plenty of other great shows here on mutiny radio so please do check out the website and if you'd like to donate to the show that would be super helpful we have a patreon up you can find it at our page at weeklyrev.org or go to patreon.com forward slash weekly rev and big thanks to all the folks who chip in on a monthly basis uh it makes uh, it makes it so much easier to be able to come in here and share these this news with you all so thanks again and we'll be back next week. Whew. Another deep breath. Uh, have a great week, everyone. Have you seen that two songs um, performed in the movie Moxie? Which is based off of a book, too. Check it out.
Tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice. LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Mutiny, mutiny radio, got a mutiny, mutiny radio, got a mutiny, mutiny radio, my friend. Got mutiny, mutiny radio, got a mutiny, mutiny radio, got a mutiny radio, my friend. You ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience, like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead passes? Oh, shoot. Time for time, I just want to start to eat. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even going to be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. 
So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. We're a host of <laughs> Huge uh, with Michael Spiegelman. Follow us on podcast by with our acronym L W A F L M O Y C. We watch a full movie without you. With you. Podcast yeah. and watch a movie at the right. same time. Yeah. L W A F L M O Y C. Yeah. L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. That's every Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, or if you're Carl, 5 p.m. Yeah, right. I'm so lazy. Three hours later, I finally get to the show. 5 p.m. Let's hear the theme song. Oh. Let's watch Full I was just leaving the theater. Convertible 1969 gold Cadillac with the white interior. Oh. I drove it up here. And I started to do some thinking. Around in it on the freeway, and I'm having a really, really good time. Flat black glass. Smoking big spliffs and cruising. Saturday, noon to two. On the freeway. Good feeling. I'm telling you. Can I see? Lori's turning into the voices absolutely right. I am Henry. 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 Yeah. Charlie here. Yeah. I have a report here, Henry, from your, uh, from your chief nurse, Major O'Houlihan. Make some accusations, Henry. I, I find pretty hard to believe. Uh, do mine, ma'am. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy. No matter what you're into, make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Hey, everybody. This is the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday. Unapologetically anti-capitalist program. Organizers, activists. Let's talk about ways you can take action right now. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. 
For too long, we have gone without a chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders, look good on camera, end all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things, and invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. For those who have an insatiable appetite for all things in life, who scream at nothing and everything at the same time, who dance till sunup, who cause the sun to set again with irreverent bow, who rival the moon with gravitational force, who leave rooms feeling empty and earthquakes struck, who don't give a fuck, who make, who do, who dream out loud and laugh like maniacs, who draw shock and awe on faces graced with watching, who create from the soul of an orgasm, who swagger even alone in the shower, who fight with passion and love with passion and are passion, who catapult over cliffs in the name of revolution, who would rather die than fall in line to conform, who constantly challenge the norm, who greet each and every day as if just born. I say to you, I know your greatness, the way a suicide jumper knows weightless just before the impact, and in fact, I know it best when I say to you, Hello there, my friends out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Luffy's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and files and files of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Bamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Bamtastic's Deep in the Mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off. For <laughs> it's in duty this. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer cottage on the mountain ridge with the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcasts.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. You'll laugh off your tushy and save your life, because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. <laughs>
watch if you want to. You can slap Spiegelman's behind. L-W-A-F-L-M-N-O-Y-T on Mutiny Radio. Mutiny. Mutiny! It's pronounced mutiny. Mutiny! No, it's, it's pronounced mutiny. Mutiny! Oh, my turn-offs are guys who say mutiny. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. Mike Spiegelman. Oh, Mike Spiegelman. Mike Spiegelman. Oh, Mike Spiegelman. Welcome to Let's Watch a Full Life Movie on YouTube. Hi, Carl. Hi, Carl. Hey, Mike. You can leave our friends behind. Yeah. And my friends, you. My friends, you, Mike. I'm going to leave your behind. Phew. I love them without that. Uh, welcome to the show. We are going to watch a full length movie on YouTube. Uh, follow us on our podcast at Front. Love to say that we are streaming right now on
2020 Buckskin Revolution Online Skills Gathering, an eight-week learning experience designed to work within any schedule. It involves pre-recorded classes, live interactive sessions, and online community learning support from both myself and your fellow students. The need for these skills has never been... It's six o'clock. It's time here at mutinyradio.fm and .sf. For outdoor comedy, yeah, yeah. I'm going to put on a little Miles Davis. We're going to chill out and listen to the dulcet tones of jazz here as we get ready for a great show out on the street, socially distanced, everyone wearing masks, hilarious comics. Can't wait for it. I'm your host, Pam Benjamin. We'll be right back. Check, check, check. I got a Russian friend and a Czech one, too.
bundle up, Buttercup. But we're going to get started in about five minutes. We got the ladies here. Yeah. Hey, they're a real audience. Excited about that. Hey, guy driving by in a car. Yeah. Comedy going to happen here in a few minutes. Yeah, it's good. It's like, it's, it's the new speed dating. You just get a microphone and stand on the street at yelling guys in cars. Is that, is that like catcalling? Is that like the old days? Is that feminism is real. Subjectify equally. Uh, all right, we're going to get started in a few minutes. Yay! Thank <laughs> you. 
go, yay. Yeah. You already have comedy pneumonia? You cold? You bundled up, Buttercup? You okay? You're going to be... Oh, I'm I'm sorry. It's good to keep the mask on. It's one of the only good things about the mask is we get to be perpetually warm now. That's nice. Also, it covers up my crepey neck. No one knows how old I am. Yay. I just got French Botox. That's when you cut bangs for yourself. So with the mask and the sunglasses and the bangs, I mean, from behind, I look like I'm 22, you know? It's like, I always wanted to be, I mean, I never wanted to be pregnant, but I always wanted to be one of those pregnant women that you see them from the back and they just look like a regular lady and they turn sideways and you're like, whoa, you're growing an alien inside you. That's cool. How'd you keep your ass so small? Kids? No, you guys are too young. Clearly. Too young. I have abortions older than you. I think that's true. I had my first abortion in 1995. That's 25 years ago. 26 now, if you can do the math. 26 years ago, I had my first abortion, and I only have one regret about that abortion. And that's, uh, you know, I didn't have the kid because right now I could be having sex with all of his friends. All of them. <laughs> what was I doing? <laughs> Mistakes in my life. Uh, I've been dating. That's weird and uh, fun. You guys, you do the you do the dates, you do the internet date, you do the Tinders and the Bumbles and the profiles and the stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't do the internet dating. Uh, some people say raise the bar. Some people say lower the bar. I say meet at the bar. Like that's how you get it done. Oh, do we have to have a? But so I, I don't, I don't have an internet profile. Uh, but I, 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 I have been, I have been dating, and I feel like it's like. It's like trying on shoes. It, you know, you go and you you like the pattern of the shoes and you go, oh, those are cute shoes. But then the shoes are no good. They make your feet. You try to fit into the shoes. You're like, I'm going to try. And you walk around in the shoes for a minute. And they're just, oh, they just don't fit right. And, and then you get a blister. Do you know what I mean? It's just like dating. You end up getting a blister. That's a herpes joke for you guys. Anybody else? I'm I'm more afraid of herpes than uh, COVID, by the way. I'm like, don't spit in my mouth, dude. I don't know you. Not afraid. <laughs> Gross. What am I gonna get there? Good. Everyone's got the herp. You know, they do. Seventy percent of people have it. It's true. There's some San Francisco hygiene issues uh, that I've been dealing with personally. Uh, I I I found I found these tights in a tree in the mission. These are tree tights. That's a thing. Uh, my question is, if my tree tights don't smell like pee, do I have to wash them before I wear them? No. I've been wearing them for like 18 days, and now they smell like my pee. But I kind of like that. That's weird, right? Is that gross? Okay. I smell my pee. Uh, San Francisco hygiene question number two. When you're using the public restroom at Civic Center, do you leave the toilet seat up or down after you've been slamming heroin? that more of an etiquette question, really? I'm not sure. Uh, the last hygiene question. I'm trying to lower my carbon footprint. I don't know about y'all. So when I'm going number two, if I use the same teepee to wipe my nose and then my tushy, can I give my butthole herpes? Dermatologist says yes. 
Herpes simplex one and two, same herpes, just location, location, location. I live in the Tenderloin, yeah! Oh yeah, it's so nice. I always know that I'm dressed cute when I get propositioned for sex. <laughs> like, this is a cute outfit, thank you. I, I cannot pay me for sex. You could get uh, ketamine maybe, but not, not, but not like actual money. Trade economy. I have been getting, I've been getting cat ca complimented, called, it's hard to tell. I don't know if they're compliments or cat calls. A gentleman uh, looked at me and he said, girl, you've been living a long time to look 22. Oh, that's a compliment, and I'm taking it. Thank you, sir. I look good. Walked by another gentleman, and he looked at me deep in the eyes, and he said, you look like you know something. I've always wanted to be seen as smart, like you. You get me, you see me. So happy. I try not to wear skirts because I get unwarranted compliments. A gentleman said, girl, I like your skirt. Can I get under there and get a sniff? Ah! Ah, it's tackling! Also, like, that's gross, bro. Like, why do you want to smell that dude's jizz? Like, that's... It's like your problem. That's like... It's, like, it's on you, man. Actually, it's all over me. It's all... <laughs> that's the problem. It's the... I do understand cat calling, I really do, because I have a kitten. Who has cats? Who loves cats? Cats! Cats, cats, cats! Yay! Bow to your alien overlords, the cats with one paw! Yes! I do, I do love cats, but I know, I try to cat call my cat all the time. I say, baby kitty, come here. I love you, baby kitty, come here. And then she ignores me. I'm like, baby kitty, you get over here. She shows me her butthole, and I'm like, you are asking for it! And I run over and I pick her up without consent and I flip her over like a baby and I kiss her on the mouth. Cat calling. Doesn't work on cats either. It doesn't work on anybody. Sorry. That's not a COVID cough. That's, that's a weed cough. Every cough I have started with a fat bowl of weed. Don't worry. Don't worry about me. Uh, I, am, I am getting super old, though. I know that I'm old because I had to use my reading glasses to pack my bong. Forgot trichomes, bicomes. It's so pretty. <laughs> I left my reading glasses on. I looked up in the mirror, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> who is that? I am not pretty. I saw my wrinkles all close up. Ah! I like to beer goggle myself. That's why I try not to wear my glasses. Everything's so fuzzy and pretty. <laughs> Put Vaseline on the lens, Mr. DeMille. That's some Vaseline. Oof. Not a good lubricant. <laughs> well, I guess, anyways, I didn't mean to go there. I'm sorry, I've been dating, I've been thinking about weird things. I'm going through menopause, so I am horny as, like, the F word that I didn't use. Look how I started, like, woo! It's crazy. My eggs are screaming as they're getting out of my body. They're like, what's going on? They're screaming. The eggs are screaming. She doesn't have eggs yet. She's, um, I have, like, two eggs left. <laughs> I was really... I was really bummed out about the Super Bowl because, like, Tom Brady was playing or whatever, and I guess he was doing well, but I'm kind of angry because I feel like we're misusing his natural talents. Right? Tom Brady should not be on the field throwing footballs around. He should be locked in a closet hooked up to a jizz machine because we should be taking all of his sperm. 
and giving it to everyone. Tom Brady babies for all. There is another astronaut in that nutsack. The next president is in that nutsack. I know it. I mean, I'm going through menopause and I have an IUD, but I would rip out my IUD with these sharp fingernails to put some Tom Brady sperm in there. Are you kidding me? A miracle baby? He's 44, I'm 46. We could have the next president. I'll be older than Joe Biden. I'm not going to live that long. It's fine. Uh, I got got a a loan from the government to keep this place alive, a 30-year fixed loan. And I'm like, joke's on you, government. I'm not going to live 30 years. You think I'm paying you back? (laughs) Right? 30 years. I'm old. That's, That's fun stuff. Uh, let me connect with you more before I, oh yeah, this is the exciting thing about menopause. Like, I am crazy. I think I have, I think I have a homeless boyfriend now. Like, um, if gift giving is my love language, I've given him so many edibles. And the other day I gave him a puffy jacket and a pair of old jeans and he was so excited. And I think that was my dowry and we might, we might be getting married. I don't know. I'm I think next time he shares his chow mein with me, we're like a street, officially street kid married. He's cute. Hey, you're in a car, yay. Oh, there's a policeman. Police are cool. <laughs> you, you guys know any cool cops? You know any cool cops? Anybody like cool cops? Any cops when you're on the street and you're smoking a spliff and you're like, you cool cop? <laughs> you, want a, you want a hit, bro? San Francisco, anybody ever done that? No? I'll, I'll, I'll close on a little white privilege thing since I was talking about the cops. I know that I have white privilege because I did this thing once in the mission and I didn't get arrested. Uh, it was 1.45 in the morning and I had cute shoes on and I had an outfit and I was like, and my feet hurt. And I was holding my shoes in the air and I was like, I need a cab, I need a cab. And what pulled up was a police car and they were like, well, what do you need help with, ma'am? And I was like, I need a cab. And they drove me home. The San Francisco PD put me in the back of the car and drove me to the Tenderloin. They're like, you really, you need to, we need to help keep you safe. I'm like, I know, I'm white, help me. No, it wasn't, it wasn't because I was white. It's because I'm a woman. I'm kidding. I'm putting back feminism so many years. That's the thing. If you're not going to wear your mask right now, at least you could smile at me for feminism. You know, like you're not wearing your mask, smile. Thank you. The guys inside get the feminist jokes. That's good. Close on a quick feminist joke here. Knock, knock. Feminism. I can get my own door. Thank you. It's, I think the precept of feminism. I don't know how it works. I don't read books. No, that's not true. I do. I do read books. A lot of women in the 70s burned bras and read books, so I could talk about my butthole on stage. Yeah. Which incidentally looks like someone threw a hand grenade into a deli. It's meaty. I am old. <laughs> that just happens, whether you have a baby or not. <laughs> it's ooh. the hemorrhoids joke. Did you guys get the, it wasn't a herpes joke. I don't have herpes on my butthole yet. <laughs> Yay. Like a professional ending on a butt joke with herpes. Yay. So I'm your host tonight, Pam Benjamin. You can clap for me. Yay. Me. Uh, yeah, and this is the perfect costume for today. I pulled together some Grey Gardens stuff. Every, anybody know Grey Gardens? Yeah? Okay, so you know how she took, like, tops and skirts and flipped them upside down? This used to be a top. 
This was a top from like, seriously, from like 1994. This was a top I used to wear. And today I was like, I think this is a skirt. I think this is the perfect costume for today. Little Edie Beale joke for you. All right. Are you ready to get this comedy started? Yes. I'm Ben Benjamin. I'm from Mutiny Radio. I'm your host tonight. This is a jar that I'll be accepting money in later. Uh, we have a really great, huge lineup. And comedians from all over the place, from as far flung as Walnut Creek. <laughs> and, and even farther still, L.A. and all kinds of great places. Your first comedian, he's a lovely gentleman, and he shows up here on Mondays for the Joke Workshop. And this is his first showcase in front of an actual audience. So I need you to be the sweetest, kindest people and clap your hands in a wild, slappy-like motion for Ian Langlands. Yay! Why? Not my first time. I don't know if you got that impression. So you can, you can uh, raise your expectations for me now. Um, okay, comedy. Okay. Pam brought up is about herpes and COVID and what would you rather have? Because that's kind of a question that I've been having is like people that are actively dating right now and you're sitting across from them, like what are you thinking? Would you rather them have COVID or would you rather them have an STD? Because if they got an STD, then you just like have to tell all your sexual partners that you have it. Or if it's COVID, then you got to tell everybody you've ever met in the past like seven months. So I don't know what's more of a burden. That's just... Um, that's just me rambling. Um, okay, let's move on to something a little lighter. Does anybody have a loved one with dementia? That's an actual question. No, does anybody have dementia, by the way? Anybody? No, I guess you, I guess you wouldn't remember anyway. Um, no, but my grandma has dementia, um, and I was a few months ago. I was tasked with the uh, lovely quest to take care of her for a few hours. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I, I'm 21, I should be going out partying and I gotta take care of my demented grandmother. Um, you know, not, not how I would like to live that Saturday morning, but you know, that's how it is. Um, and so I was worried that I had to do all this stuff with her, but really what you gotta do with someone who has dementia, you just watch Game Show Network and make sure they don't jump off the balcony. Just pretty easy, actually. Um, and I don't know what it is after you pass the threshold of being 70 years old, you just become like infatuated with game shows. I don't know what that is. And she, and she loves it, you know, she loves it. And then her favorite show came on, which was Jeopardy. And uh, I, I couldn't tell you why her favorite show was Jeopardy. Like she couldn't recognize herself in the mirror, let alone like know who the leader of Prussia was in 1860. But she loves Jeopardy. So we're watching Jeopardy, you know, we're rolling, we're rolling, we're rolling. I'm just sitting, I'm trying to enjoy myself. And she turns to me and she goes, when did that man get here? And we're alone in the room. And I didn't know that this task was gonna come with questions. So I'm like, okay, grandma, let's just, uh, let's just move on from this. So I ignore her and we move on. Five minutes later, she asks me again, she goes, who's that man in the suit? When did that man in the suit get here? So now I fucking realize that I have to convince my demented grandmother that the ghost of Alex Trebek is not in the room with us. Um, not, a, not a fun thing to do, I'll tell you. And so I keep telling her, I'm like, Grandma, no, Alex Trebek is not in the room with us. 
Oh, and by the way, if a loved one starts seeing the ghosts of game show hosts, then you might want to double check you're on the will because they're on the way out, okay? Um, <laughs> that's awful. Okay. God bless. Okay, so so I tell her, I'm like, Grandma, Alex Shrek's not in the room, and she's not budging. And I'm trying to tell her, I'm like, hey, you're the one with the deteriorating brain. I would trust me, okay? I'm the, one, I'm the expert. She doesn't believe me. We're rolling, we're rolling, and I'm like, you know, I'm young. I like to have fun. Let's play a little game with her. So I tell her she's a contestant on Jeopardy. That's fun, right? You know, that's what you do with, you know, when you're taking care of your 80-year-old grandmother. She's a contestant on Jeopardy, and she lights up. She loves it. I start rambling questions off to her, and her brain's stuck in 1973, so naturally she's getting them all wrong. But who cares, okay? This is probably the last light she'll have in her life for, I don't know, maybe a few months. Um, <laughs> um, so, rambling questions, she's getting them wrong, and then my mom walks in, and it's final jeopardy. So I turn to my grandma, and I go, who wrote the poem, The Raven?